Hello, and welcome to Confidently Wrong, a show by regular dudes talking with confidence about content we have no right to speak about with any kind of authority, but do it anyway. I'm Wesley Nakamura, and as always, I'm joined by technically Emmy-winning director Brian Redondo and Savon Jones, aka Captain Bonnie. That's right, I said Emmy-winning. This is episode 93, and we do a deep dive, deep, deep dive into the first season of Andor. I'm confident that it's going to be the best show you've ever listened to, and well, hey, if it's not, you can always ask us for a refund. Incredible! Hello, gentlemen. We're happy to be here. We finally got our schedules to mesh like Voltron or Megazord. Tommy, RIP. Um, what? Are, oh, also the Destructicons. Oh, yeah. Is uh, that what it's called? Building Devastator, yeah. Oh, they, that's what it's called, Devastator. Yeah, Devastator. Not Unicron? Was that different? Unicron what? is just a planet. That's, the planet. that's just oh, a big right? boy on what, his own. What was the one where they built the like really big like Transformer? Was that that's Devastator? Not, I'm going to need you to use more. Like, I'm going to need you to be way more. <laughs> that, that is not helpful. But really, what's the, the robot the where the robots one. come together for is the that, robot? Was that just was that just Megatron when he got in his weird like sharp form? He was actually like, Megatron becomes smaller when he transforms, right? He turns into <laughs> he a turns gun. into the gun. <laughs> yeah, he becomes like small and sleek. So which is conservation, very odd. conservation of matter. Yeah, conservation of mass never. Yeah, he never quite cared about that in transformers. <laughs> unless you think about it, you know, they got small two seater Camaros turned into. 10, you know, multiple st- story the size buildings, of a small yeah. house battle bot, like let's with missiles. You know, what was what is that called? Beetle? No, what's a is it like Beetleborg or something, right? No, Bumblebee. <laughs> Bumblebee. You're talking about Bumblebee. Bumblebee, the movie, was actually not bad. Wasn't our friend uh Miss Hawkeye? I don't remember. Yeah, yeah, her yeah. Yeah. Character's Haley, name. Haley <laughs> yeah. Steinfeld. She was in it. And good. She was good in it. I just remember her from the trailer. And that's better, better than Shia LaBeouf. She was in Transformers. Yeah, well, she was no, in, in the, the Bumblebee movie. In the Bumblebee one, Bumblebee oh. had his own spinoff movie. Yeah. I remember that. Just How wild good. is that? It was good. You should watch it. Like on what? Redbox or like on free streaming. Don't like pay for it. Okay. So in other words, don't ever waste your time watching this. No, yeah, it's good. Pretty... It's yeah. good. I enjoyed it. Okay. There's okay. Plenty of other things to watch. Well. We're gonna talk about on this show a show worth watching. I'm gonna I'm gonna put my stake in the ground. This is a show worth watching. I don't know if Savan's gonna entirely agree, but mm-hmm. we're gonna mm-hmm. talk about Andor. I've been dying to talk. Brian was like, "Do we need to talk about this? Like you already talked about it with Miles, guys. We have to talk about this show. I I couldn't wait to hear what you guys had to say about it. Um, because I think you guys will do a good part picking apart like all the the nuance and detail of what actually makes this a show that I enjoy, even if I am, as Mike would say, smooth-brained, right? No wrinkles. So we're going to do the heavy thinking for you. That's what you brought us here to record. <laughs> no, I just want to hear what you guys had to say. I think I, I, I have some reasons why I think I liked it, but you know, I don't always pick up on the small details, and I don't have the the writing, directing, editing background that Brian has. So he's going to, I think he's going to bring some expertise into what really makes this show shine, especially in comparison to some of the other star Wars live action shows we've seen. And even maybe comparing it to some of the MCU stuff we've seen lately. Can Um, I, can I just do a little tangent? Um, Speaking of my credentials, uh, speaking of my credentials to 
actually, you know, do the heavy lifting for you because, you know, <laughs> I know, I know writing, directing, script writing, uh, editing, camera stuff. I, you know, we got to change the intro to the show because I have news for you guys. What's that? I'm not only an award winning director or filmmaker, I am technically now an Emmy award winning oh! director. Oh, filmmaker. Wait, how technically? What? What's a technically? Technically, mean? because I used to pl- work at a place, a little place called The New Yorker. Hey, where yeah, you did. I was, I was Him like, Jeffrey the, Tubin. Senior video editor. I was never on a call with Jeffrey Tubin. Uh, Savan no, has no idea who that guy is. No, or comment. what happened to him? Savan, you should look it up. Actually. I know how to stay in my lane. <laughs> look, look up Jeffrey Tubin and don't. Zoom meetings. <laughs> Do not. Uh, <clears throat> don't worry. None of that is going on during this podcast recording. <laughs> but so over over at this place called the New Yorker, I was the main video editor. But I also consulted on a bunch of other video type projects. And so we actually acquired this really cool 360 VR video called Reeducated. And it's about uh, detainees in Xinjiang, right? At these reeducation secret detention camps in Xinjiang. It's like a very awful humanitarian crisis um, or human rights abuse crisis. And... Anyway, that, you know, I consulted on that a little bit. Like, I gave a note here or there. I was like, uh, you know, it's a little hard to understand what that animation is doing. Or, like, <laughs> I think uh, there's a jump in the story here. You know, like, very tiny yeah. notes. Yeah. Uh, That's that, editing. That project, that project won an Emmy Award this year, and my name was in the program. Hey! So I'm going to take that. As a win for me, I am now Emmy Award winning director Brian Redondo. Let's go. Oh my goodness. I'm, I'm owning it. Oh, what, yeah. what did you get credited as? What was your um, role? Consultant? Uh, I, on that, I think it says I'm senior editor. Oh, uh, so there's like, okay. you know, executive producers who's like my boss and people out over at my former work. Uh-huh. So they're listed in it. And then, of course, you got the people that actually made it, yeah. like the directors, the the illustrators, all those people. And then you got me, who's just listed as senior editor. So okay. um, basically, what I'm trying to say is that everything uttered here from now forward <laughs> has, has the weight, weight of the full weight of a golden Emmy. And that means I can't be wrong. <laughs> Dang, my son got the championship belt. Oh my He's goodness. just going to pull rank. But you won't, you won't have. get a trophy or you will? No, no, okay, no way. I think uh, there's like one trophy. Oh, there's only one trophy, uh, okay. and it's like a state championship. You play <laughs> yeah, for like a it sports stays team at the school. You put that in the school, <laughs> and, it, and you get the emotional attachment to it. Like, yeah, we did that. Yeah, it's, and it's not even like the Stanley Cup trophy. Like, it's not coming to my house for five days or something, and then nah. I pass it along. It's all right. No. Reflected glory here. And you you contributed. I mean, it may not have been as strong or may not have won. You if have you a stake in it, like an NFT. Yeah. Yeah. I contribute the 0.01% just as much as Cassian Andor did in developing an important Star Wars piece of mythology. Hey, you got it, right? A little zip, zip, zip. Oh, well, Savat hasn't seen that part yet. All right. So, Andor. Oh, my God. I want to talk about this show. Okay. Sorry. So, this first part. 
<laughs> this first part is going to be spoilers free. So if you haven't seen the show, and I, I know a lot of people sort of haven't gotten hooked into it or they haven't gotten into it. So we did want to have a little piece of the show where maybe you got to hear about it from a spoilers free perspective. And then maybe made a decision on whether you want to jump in. Hint, I think you should jump into this show. You will not regret it. So many people on my social media feed um, are calling Andor the best live action Star Wars, period. Like no no caveats, no qualifications, just the best live action Star Wars. Amen. What did this series do that was so effective? And ultimately, do you end up agreeing with that sentiment? Brian, we're going to start with you. The Emmy Award winning director. I mean, I'm just going to talk and then you can turn off the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But I I wholeheartedly agree with that statement. That is not hyperbole whatsoever. Andor is the most mature, complex and human Star Wars effort in the in the entire franchise. I mean, just the attention to detail alone elevates this thing above all those other efforts. You know, you have a huge cast of characters with conflicting motivations. Mm-hmm. They they speak in double speak. You know, they have deplorable heroes, commendable villains, you know, so much signs of life in each culture and planet and environment that everybody inhabits. And they're all working towards different goals that really, uh, really complicate the, the normal, simple, childish you know, battle between good and evil that we're so used to in Star Wars, uh, you know, that really emphasizes how much more childish that feels relative to this in Andor, right? It's, it is complicated, complex portrayal of how rebellions come into existence. Uh, and, you know, Andor does such a fine job of investigating all the different nuances of that, you know, very difficult real world issue uh, and, you know, dressing it up in the Star Wars universe. But, you know, because of how well richly detailed and realized it is, it becomes all the more relatable to, you know, what we can imagine as people living in real life outside of a Star Wars fantasy, what a rebellion is like. And I think Andor really nails it. And because of that, it's just so much more mature than anything else in the Star Wars universe. And then to top it all off, just the execution of it in terms of the craft, the cinematography, the editing, the music, and the performances, because they're working with such rich material, all of those things are also at a very high level. And, you know, it's it's really just a wonderful Star Wars series. Whew. Savan. I mean, I'm going to echo most of what Brian said. Like, it's okay. a mature story. They are really getting down into some concepts. We don't like the the moral grayness of this is far beyond anything we've ever seen in Star Wars. You know, one of our big complaints about Boba Fett was that they didn't want to lean into the moral gray area of the show where, you know, you don't really see Boba Fett outright execute people the way we see, you know, Cassian do on several occasions in this show. So just to give you an idea of what that tone shift looks like for a character who in Andor is ultimately more heroic than someone like Boba Fett, right? So they really did turn up the seriousness and grittiness to a level that we haven't seen. Now, what that means in the context of Star Wars might be up for debate, 
but there is no debate about the quality, production value, acting, and character and dialogue-driven experience that you get watching Andor. And like it's top-notch, and it's one of the strongest things that this show can lean on. This is tapping into... This is for those Star Wars fans who like a grittier, more mature story. I think we watch Star Wars for different reasons, and this is a type of story that gets maybe touched on in the Clone Wars animated series. They maybe get into some of those types of themes, but this is one where this is the central theme rather than just a recurring bit, and it shines in that regard. I like it. I think it's definitely got to be considered as one of the strongest entries. Um in terms of the live action, it's it's hard to beat, you know, the the Empire Strikes Back in terms of all the things that were happening, right? All the the stakes for our heroes in that show uh, or in that movie. Um, I know a lot of people really like Revenge of Revenge of the Sith, right? The third third episode. It's the best always movie. Oh yeah, boy. yeah. So I mean, yeah. So right, Savon loves lo- loves that, you know that, and then um, I also love that because it's dark. Yeah, um, yeah. The two the two episodes you mentioned, both the darkest ones. <laughs> Not surprising. Maybe that's true. And then in terms of the long wait we had between the the prequel and then getting to Ray's story, where the Force Awakens comes back, and what a joy that was, right? To relive sort of the nostalgia of Star Wars, have a new fun adventure. Um, and a brand new hero that we could really get behind. I mean, I think that was also a, a really great version of Star Wars, a really great entry into the Star Wars universe. Um, but I don't know. And like, I, I love that movie. I don't know that I that that movie stuck with me in the same way that this one has. I'm notorious for not having any memory. And so many scenes are just like seared into my brain even two weeks later. And guys, that's a long time for me. I know that doesn't sound like a long time. <laughs> But a long time and, you know, maybe six or seven weeks since the show started, I'm still like thinking about, you know, how the different things played out over the course of the series. The acting was so good. I mean, Stellan Skarsgård, uh, Diego Luna, and then um, uh, Andy Serkis, right? Just tons of, of crazy stuff um, that they were doing in terms of letting us into their world, their thinking, their motivations, their their struggles, all of that happened. Um, the actress who played Dedramira, I'm blanking on her name right now. Fantastic job. I mean, just so many things going on. The the characterization that was happening, like every character felt different and real. I mean, it was just like really, really cool. And the stakes that they built into each episode and then across the series um, through, through Tony Gilroy's writing, I thought was like really cool. So I definitely think it's got to be considered as one of the strongest pieces of live action. Um, for the Star Wars universe and and just really, really enjoyed it. So um, we're good there. Uh, I don't think we need to talk about too much then. So should folks out there watch the show if they haven't? It seems like we're all on board that it's very good. Savon, what do you think? Yeah, so, you know, again, we said it before, this is a good show, production value, acting, all of that. But I think where I struggle with this show and where I would question whether I'd recommend it to people is... what. <laughs> what? Yeah, this How is, is this this, not a no-brainer. It's it's a no it's not a no-brainer because people watch Star Wars for a very at least in my opinion specific type of experience. When I grew up to Star Wars, I'm there for the spectacle, for the space opera, for the fantasy elements, the space wizards. Okay. It's definitely much right. more of a action-based experience. And the Star Wars world obviously is so big and diverse, it lends itself to telling a wide range of stories. 
But I think no matter what stories we've seen, whether it's video games, comics, TV shows, movies, whatever, they still, even when it wasn't Jedi-based stories, kept a pretty good foot in that fantasy adventure area. This entry is nothing like that. Mm. And so while it's good, you can be a Star Wars fan, and this might not be giving you what you're looking for when you're generally watching Star Wars. And so how I felt watching this show was that I was watching an amazing show, but I wasn't enjoying it as a Star Wars fan. I was enjoying the show just as its own thing, which I don't think is necessarily bad, but I do think that it puts it in a weird place of who is this for? Because the story on its own is it's amazing. It's for people who like good shows. I don't well, know. Hold on, hold on. Star Wars fans <laughs> like good shows. Uh, I think a, do they? <laughs> a lot, so look, so that's the deal, though. A lot of stuff that makes this show good and what makes you appreciate it, I do think requires a bit of background as a Star Wars fan because it doesn't lean heavy into the sci-fi, but it leans into it enough to where you have to acknowledge that that's an important element of the setting and like that affects how the story progresses. You know, multi-planet searches, all this type of stuff. But if you're just not into Star Wars in general, the Star Wars brand might turn you off from a really, really good story. And I think for some people, the show can kind of get caught in this weird no man's land. Like there are lots of shows that are about these spy thrillers and all these types of dark, morally great characters and themes. But I think because they're not Star Wars, they can lean a little bit more into that mature audience where you have swearing and, you know, you don't have to have blood and gore, but you could still feel the PG-13 hovering over this show, which is not a bad thing, but it exists in, it exists in kind of an almost weird jack-of-all-trades where I think certain fan bases will struggle to get pulled in. Like, again, I like this show. I'm not enjoying it as a Star Wars fan. And you might like these thriller rebel-themed shows, but not like the set piece of Star Wars. And I do think that that makes it hard for me to recommend to Like, my friends who like Star Wars... We're, I'm there, we're there a lot of times you're there for the action and lightsabers and whatnot if there's none of that in this show that's a much harder sell for another show that might have similar types of themes but it's just its own you know it, it doesn't have star wars as like a brand over overlay that you have to acknowledge and i do think that that's a fair barrier into getting people into the into the show i i think savan you're actually you're actually right and what i'm gonna say is is gonna build on what you've said uh and i think a lot of what you're saying is a reason for maybe why andor isn't as widely popular as perhaps its quality should uh dictate or yeah yeah yeah, exactly right (laughs) absolutely Uh, because i think the audience for andor is really Anyone that hates Star Wars as much as I hated the first two Harry Potter movies, <laughs> like this is for them. And if you know what I, if you know what I mean, like if anybody, any of you guys into Harry Potter, right? Those first two movies are just childish BS. They can't be but, a childish meant for kids. But but like you know, me watching them, I can tell like, oh, this is actually an interesting universe, and. The whole series doesn't take off until Prisoner of Azkaban, right? When the series takes a much darker, much more mature turn, much more creative turn, but within that sandbox. So I'm using that as an analogy for Andor. If you, like me, really dislike a lot of the stuff going on in the Star Wars universe, like <laughs> your childish good versus evil, 
you know, ridiculous lightsaber battles, uh, a lot of toy tie-ins. Yeah, space wizards. <laughs> space but, bounty hunters and their animal companions and animal babies and yeah, space Yeah, ships. like basically like droid and animal familiars who are just there to sell plushies. You know, if you kind of like hate all that stuff about Star Wars, but you're still kind of interested and into the fantasy realm that they exist in, then I think Andor is the thing that you've been waiting for. Like for that is kind of basically what the show has been like for me. I'm someone who I've said on this podcast before, I hate Star Wars. (laughs) I think I hate Star Wars more than I like Star Wars. (laughs) Uh, You know, it's always a weird balance for a lot of fans uh, of Star Wars, right? For me, like that, balance has weighed heavily into the hate territory especially as you know book of boba fett came out um (laughs) but andor andor is something where it's kind of like it's it's within the sandbox but it's taking star wars and the franchise to a different place that dark and gritty place where there are no lightsaber battles where it does feel more pg-13 than pg I wish it would go rated R. I wish it yeah, could come full fledged exactly. Game of Thrones, you know, version of I just fantasy, right? Like, I would love that version of Andor. Uh, maybe in you know in some future we'll we'll be able to see that. But for now, Andor is is the real deal. It, it's delivering on all those wants, right? It's like getting into things in a much more intelligent and sophisticated way. Lots of characters, lots of things to understand. None of the none of the the space wizardry, and actually the show in a, in a lot of ways feels a lot closer to core sci-fi rather than space fantasy, right? Yeah, and so I mean, Star Wars has always been more fantasy than science fiction, in my opinion. Yeah, like this this feels very much like uh you know Almost social commentary in the sci-fi setting, and that's that's always to me what makes really good sci-fi, which. Which I've talked about on the podcast before. So mm-hmm. like, it doesn't, Andor it doesn't is in have that your rule. It doesn't meet your rule that the different technology or new technology. It does. It does not do that. Drives the show, but it does. It does. It does a lot of the other things you talked about. Bring a mirror to, yeah, you know, the real world um, mm-hmm. in the sci-fi <clears throat> setting, and so I I applaud the show for doing that. Mm-hmm. I I didn't miss at all the lack of rated R or violence or f-bombs I actually think that i want and i think you know maybe it's easier to do and to make it quote-unquote gritty if you could do the heavy violence or you know sexuality or whatever right and and have it be a much darker more violent show and i never missed it i think just through the way that like the writers and directors crafted each of the the scenes you felt exactly the same tension that you would feel had there been a threat of violence or, you know, bludgeoning or blood or whatever. This wasn't cartoony in any way. It wasn't like, oh, like that's silly. Like the way they did that to like try and imply violence without like showing you violence. Like it, to me, the show felt just as adult as, as anything else. And just because they didn't curse, didn't necessarily take away from like it being a show where, characters were scary or characters were upset or human um and and showing their true human emotions so i i don't know that i agree with that at all um 
I well, don't know, Savan, well, you're, you're cross cross. Yeah, I want right I want to clarify because I think a common misconception people have regarding maturity for a show is that it instantly means lots of gratuitous violence and gore, which you know I think maybe Game of Thrones. No, gave but us that's that. what. Yeah, and that's what would give you the rated R stuff. Well, well, not necessarily. Oh, that's why. I, that's why I disagree. So when I say maturity and stakes, like. I think Breaking Bad could be a good example where Breaking Bad isn't a show that's based around lots of blood and gore and outside of a few very specific moments. It's not that's not really what the show is about, but it cleanly yeah. earns its like R M for mature rating. And I do think some of that just has to do with little small things that play into the tone. And even again, Andor is great and it's gritty and mature, but it has it's clear that like there's little things tonally wise that, for example, if you have an entire like prison arc, how you can have a PG-13 prison arc and a rated R prison arc. And the difference doesn't have to do with blood or gore. It could just be how things are presented on screen. You know, maybe you have more amazing. Maybe you lean into showing emaciated dying prisoners. Maybe you, you know, rather than like the OK, they shocked them on the metal floor thing, which is still gritty and shows the you know the cruel conditions but i do think there's just like a slight tonal shift that you feel and again i only feel that tonal shift because i've watched similar shows that are telling stories similar to andor and you can see oh well for this one they don't have the disney brand keeping them from just leaning into that rated r and again it doesn't mean you have to drop constant f-bombs but i do think that when you're talking high stressful adult situations people curse you know we curse it's like real people and i do think that you know, you don't have to drop an F-bomb every other line, but you can still at times feel how clean the dialogue is between people in what would be frantic situations that I think in almost any other, like, genre or, like, rating, there's going to be some dams or F-bombs or SOB or something being dropped. And, like, I can feel that. And then, you know, even then just, like, we've talked about how blasters are just a cleaner form of shooting people. And it's little stuff like that that it works. It's fine. But... You know, I do feel that you don't have to have it be blood and guts for it to still earn a rated R, rated MA rating. But again, it's Star Wars, so that was never going to really happen. But, right. and, you know, I don't think it has to be gore and cursing in order to earn that. You can do it those tonally as that, well. But those are the things that earn you rated R. I mean, but like, again, yeah, I'm, it's I'm like using my break- theming. Yeah, right? some yeah. Of, yeah, theming too. Like Breaking Bad, again, like most of but Breaking Bad isn't I violent. Mean, this, isn't about, this isn't about drugs either. But yeah, I, I I think there's something to be said, like especially in the finale, right? The final fracas, uh, or the final melee. You know that could be way more brutal than yeah. it was to really, to really make sure that you felt the brutality, uh, and oppression that was at hand. Uh, and I think that would actually go a long way for the storytelling, right? Like. And I it doesn't know. necessarily have it. to be I didn't miss it. blood, but there are, you know, I think there are other ways to treat violence and the impact violence has on people that's not the Star Wars way, right? Okay. It's a, this is it's the difference. It's basically between it's the difference between cartoon violence and real world violence. Um, I thought they walked. A, I think a fine Star Wars there. definitely is cartoony violence. It tends. This to be, is yeah. more. I think Andor is more violent. Uh, than some of the others, like yeah. you, no, you know, some lot. guy gets shot in the face. Usually, you don't see it; uh, it's implied. Yeah. Um, but I think there are other ways. I still think there is room for that to be ratcheted up without just blood and guts. Yeah, I mean, 
Yeah, and that's my pretty much I, what my I was question on. or my my thing is I don't think that the show necessarily needed that. Maybe you guys are arguing a little bit differently that if it had that, it would be a richer show. I, I think, think the things they did with it were rich enough, and we should probably start moving into now a spoilers section of our show because it seems like we want to talk about some of the details now. Savant, you want to wrap up that thought about you know whether people should watch it? Yeah, I mean we talked you know we talked about an NBA how there's NBA players who are tweeners who. You're kind of like, you're not a big man, but you're not a wing. And it kind of just puts you in like, a ooh, you can do a little bit of everything, but you're not amazing at one specific thing. Like this show has a good writing, but I think that's still where it hovers in. Like that's kind of where it feels. It just feels like you're kind of just in like, in like a little, a really, really good purgatory. <laughs> the one that's hard for recommending to people. I don't know. People like I said, I don't know any, like I don't, have any, like I don't have any Star Wars fans who I would say, hey, yo, you need to watch this. Because there's no Star Wars or space battles and shit. And that's what a lot of people want to watch for. Myself included. It's hard for me to just tell Tyler and Kendall, hey, y'all, y'all want to watch this dude learn about the oppressions of the imperial government and how people can be <laughs> enabling systems unwittingly. Like, I don't even watch that shit. You can watch a documentary about that and get that story. I'm watching Star Wars. I want to see people throw things with they throw rocks with their mind. Well, when you put it that way... <laughs> This show sounds boring as shit. <laughs> no, it's good, but like when you don't think that when you think Star Wars, like that's what it comes. To. There yeah. is there is one space battle that was pretty effing dope. That was cool. I will say. All right, let's get into some spoilers. So if you haven't seen the show and we haven't ruined anything for you, <laughs> you know, sign off now. Go watch the show. Come back to us when you're finished in a couple of weeks. Um, all right, let's get started. So the first season that we just saw, and there's supposed to be two seasons of this, and one thing that was interesting was it had 12 episodes, right? We haven't seen a Disney plus show have 12 episodes um, that, that I can recall. And I think that allowed the series to breathe, but it also meant that it had a several arcs that kind of happened a kind of several crests throughout the, uh, throughout the first season. Uh, there will be a season two. It's already um, started in production. I don't know when they're going to try and bring it out maybe in a year, year and a half, something like that. Um, the first yeah, kind of 24, 2024. Okay. So the first section is, is like Cassian is isolated. Um, he's kind of a loner. He's, uh, he says he's looking for his sister, uh, and he ends up killing two men and hiding out on his home planet to sort of try and avoid detection, um, because of the, the crime that he committed or the, the impulse killing he had. Um, it, it, he was reacting. He wasn't just like executing people. Um, and, and then there's kind of the second arc where he ends up having to sort of flee. He ends up kind of getting roped into this, uh, this heist basically on, on a different planet that ends up being kind of cool. And, and we'd love to see more stories there. And then the last kind of half of the series kind of dives into him, uh, his life, how he sort of becomes more of a leader, how he becomes really, uh, seeing the empire for what it is as, as a huge threat rather than just sort of this uh, benign force that sort of is everywhere. Um, and he realizes sort of how unhinged the empire becomes. And so he, he kind of has these peaks and troughs in terms of where we're going. We end up in very different settings for a few episodes at a time. Um, we haven't seen a show like that probably because we haven't seen a show that's as long as many episodes as that. How effective was this like character building? Was the plot structure for you having 12 episodes? Um, Savan, I know you haven't quite finished the show, but how is how is sort of the the lay of the land going for you? It's interesting because I think them doing 12 episodes ultimately is a good idea. I do think this show 
kind of has a almost early Game of Thrones pro slash con where you have lots of threads. But man, if you're not interested in the thread, it hurts just the pacing of the show. And like your boy Kern, who I get how they're trying to set him up. Like I get the direction they're setting him up with, and he's an interesting character. But I think if you're into a lot of these different arcs, it's really dope. But having a lot of different plot lines inherently means that it's going to be harder to keep the viewer engaged in all of them. And so you're more, you know, the more plot lines you have, the more likely it is that someone's just going to say, hey, I don't really care about this as much. And so, you know, maybe y'all might feel a little differently about each plot line, but I think the length of the show overall is a good thing. But they do kind of have a lot of plot threads going on that Mm. sometimes can start to be a lot to follow. Like, you know, you got like multiple stories on the people who are supporting the rebels, multiple people who are within the Imperial stuff. Like it, I like it. Ultimately, I think it's a good thing, and I would rather have this be at this many episodes than be nine or ten. Did it I just have questions you? about some of the plot lines themselves. Gotcha. Did it work for you that there were sort of like three different climaxes to the the show? Uh, I guess yes and no. And I guess some it's of it's like you know, three and a half. Actually. It's like also, I mean, keep in mind, part of it is that I have to finish the show, and I get it, but. I guess part of my struggle is just uh, I don't know what this is all building up to to begin with. So you have a heist happening. You know, at first it's like okay, he's still in a piece, and then it's like all right, he's wrapped into this heist. But then the heist feels very separate from what the actual conflict seems to be. Where he, you know, the the heist in his prison arc just feels so like that could just be two different seasons of this show. That it kind of like I struggle to kind of make a meaningful connection between them, but. None of it's a bad thing. I think someone is just like a personal preference of how I feel about the story. And again, take it with a grain of salt because I got to finish it. But I think my only real complaint is that they did a lot of stuff building up this huge heist that just kind of ends with everyone dying and the board kind of being almost reset for him except with money. Well, and that was yeah, kind of. I guess so. But I, the, get the, I get the personal development piece. Yeah, like, okay. yeah. I mean, I think that's what it is. Yeah, and I get like, you know, personal development, the block becomes hot, police come, stormtroopers make everything hard. Like, I get it, but it still just felt like, well, I, don't know, I guess, I guess it just depends on how much he loner. was. Yeah. I guess it just depends on how much you were sold on him learning something from his time with the people during the heist. That's what it comes down to. Yeah. If you're really sold on his time with them and that changing him, then what that arc means for him getting the money and going to prison later means a lot. If you're less sold on it, then it just kind of feels like, all right, this is a lot of stuff that felt like didn't really go anywhere. I'm undecided on how I feel about that with how he re- uh, how he bonded with the people because one of them well, was shiesty. Yeah, exactly. Like it was really just like the kid, the kid, kinda. And even then, I felt a little funny about them saying, "Okay, so this your Pete homie who you've been with all these months, and then you give your manifesto to this dude who y'all all just met, who y'all distrust." Like some of that kind of felt like, "All right, we just got to get the story rolling." So I'm a little, I'm not totally sold on how much Andor was influenced slashed changed by his time with the you know with the heist group well i think uh like when he handed him his manifesto and she's like hey here's his manifesto like okay that's okay okay that's a bit much i think he was trying i think he the kids sensed that andor there was more to andor than just him being a for hire thug and the kid was really doing his best to proselytize he was trying to give the gospel to Andor, right? It was that 
kind of scenario. Oh, no, and perfect sense narratively, I agree. It's just, a, it's just, are you sold on it? Is the question. You know, that's the right, intention. Right, I right. agree. Uh, and so, like the the twelve episode three to three to four maybe climaxes within the the entire season, I think it's it was definitely different, right? I I don't think a lot of shows have done this, especially not in recent years. Definitely not in the Disney uh, Disney Plus streaming era, right? Where we're used to getting six episodes of something and they build towards one climax and a lot of times it's just like one long movie um, maybe it becomes overstuffed because they're trying to do too much in those few episodes. And then on the opposite end of that, we get, you know, Netflix MCU, which is like 18 episodes or something. (laughs) Good God. (laughs) But you know, all one long moving plot towards this thing. And in Andor, we don't get that. Uh, So, once the heist is over, I actually got really confused. I was like, wait a minute, that was it? That was the heist? Yeah, and then, he, yeah he gets and the money and he on. runs off. I'm like, oh, bet. So, like, my son won. He yeah, won. I, I was so confused at, like, how but many more didn't. episodes of Andor there was. Yo. But the fact that it played out that way, I once once I got to the last episode, I actually felt I felt rewarded uh by andor's personal journey throughout because you know trying to have him do a heel turn essentially in the course of like one just one simple story arc is kind of too simplistic uh especially for where he was coming from at the beginning of the series right he's you know he's somebody who is just a survivor and he's doing whatever it takes for himself um, and so he has a lot of learning to do to not just play nicely with people, but to also, you know, give a damn about trying to do something for the greater good. Right. So there, there are multiple steps in his trajectory. So I, you know, I, I am glad to see each one of those arcs, a stepping stone yes. for, for Cassian Andor. Um, be, right. you know, because there, there is such a huge gap for him to jump, especially to where he is in Rogue One, where he's a diehard rebel. He, he about this, yeah, point. ride or die. Yeah. Um, and, and then additionally, as you said, Savan, the 12 episode series just gives so much room for all the other, all the other life, all the other characters that come into play. And to me, those things are way more important to how to this series than Cassian himself, right? It's those things, the sort of Game of Thrones esqueness mm-hmm. of it all that really bring to life the whole rebellion and the Empire. Uh, two things that I think, for the most part in the Star Wars universe, are kind of just you know one-dimensional caricatures of of an Empire and of a rebellion. Here we get both in full force and in, in full detail. Uh, and so that's, I mean, I think that's the biggest credit to the 12 episode structure. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is one thing I'm just going to add. Cause, and again, I have to finish this last couple episodes and I'm sure, you know, Cassie and Ando is going to step up as a leader in a bunch of ways, but I have to say this. He didn't have to learn nothing from the heist because he only had to learn a lesson because he got effed over by the police. They have nothing to do with the heist. My son was living it up with a baddie, had a nice little vacation spot. 
He had his money, his gun. He now, now granted, like you know, it, the block is still hot. But let's be clear: him having to learn whatever the beginning of his lesson is, as him having to grow, which is because he went to prison, is not because of some greater lesson he learned. Because the police arrested him on some bullshit charges and then locked him in the slammer, and they didn't even give him a chance to process. Had that not happened, homie would have not been worried about any of that manifesto crap, any of that for the rebel yeah. greater good stuff. Yeah. He would have just took his bag, his sack of coins and bounds. But my point is, I feel like that that's the part that makes it harder for me to say, oh, yeah, he learned so much from it. It's not like he did the heist. All this awful stuff happens. He runs no. off with his money. Then he has like survivor's guilt and decides now I'm going to no. leave it behind. He just got caught up. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I think that's important, but that's, though. That's 100%. Yeah, but that's I guess, really I guess important. you have to. Yeah, like it's good. Like it's good. And it's good in the context of the larger story of a this empire can screw over anybody. You can't pretend this isn't your problem. Right. But it sucks from a point A to point B of this heist because. <laughs> I guess all those people die and all that happened, and then all this time goes by. Picked up. And the payoff only happens for them. Like their legacies only matter because he just happens to get screwed over by the system that they warned him. Like, like it's, it, it still feels very like, hey, bro, you learned the right lesson, but for the wrong reasons. <laughs> what do you mean for the wrong reasons? Like he's learning it because he. There's no altruism in this. It's just like he's not caught up. In yeah, he's not an altruistic guy, though. I know, but yeah, this point he's, is... He's a survivor. Exactly. That's, that's his key exactly. quality. And so he's got to be put in these scenarios right. where... It would feel fake if all of a sudden he was like, yeah. oh, man, like I really got to look out for yeah, people. But like, that's his mom. That's what his mom did, but that's not what he's doing. Yeah, but I, I would have liked to have seen even just like a him having a... Uh, I'm a little undecided. It wasn't even like a old. You even see like there's a little bit of like conflict in him. It was just literally chilling. just... He was vibed out. Like even just him... Being a little more worried and like, oh man, I wish I could do the right thing. Even just a little bit of body language hesitancy would have sold me on just like a, nah, B, which happened to you could happen to anybody. You just happen to have had this experience that you got a little perspective. But I would have liked for him to have a little bit more agency in the how he's going to. But again, maybe that'll happen more in the prison arc thing. But at, at that point, I still feel like, okay, you got forced into that situation. I would have liked to have seen a little bit of a, a, the the hints of a change man are there before you just got thrown into prison. I felt like I didn't get to see any hints of him having learned anything from the heist before he got locked up. So it just kind of feels like, oh man, you just <laughs> it felt like you beat the game and then the game was just like, actually, no, we're trolling you. <laughs> it feels a little it feels a little more trolly on the universe part than like a hey, you gotta learn your lesson from a him internally part. I mean what's I don't know. What's interesting about that though is that it works for it works for the larger narrative. It just makes his growth feel like a little to me feel less earned because again he didn't have, you know, he had less agency in his growth. What's interesting is that Luthen might be the one that's trolling him because Luthen sets him up, forces him to do the Aldani job. The Aldani job forces the Empire to clamp down on everybody, which is exactly what Luthen wanted yeah. to tighten their grip of oppression. And what an like, interesting thing, too. That, that idea was cool. Up. Yeah, see, I like Luthen more because I felt like in that sense, all his like all the stuff with his character, it feels like he has a little bit more agency in his decision. So when he does something crappy or morally great, you're like, all right, well, I see how that was his decision to make. Some of the stuff with Andor, I feel like it's things happening to him. But again, I get it. That makes sense in the context of this oppressive world where that's exactly how systems of oppression work. You have yeah. all your choices taken from you. So like, well, again, and that's why he decides world, it works. to go towards his Rogue One days where he's no longer that person. He's not going to passively sit by, right? In Rogue One, 
he's willing to do the thing that needs to be done by then. I, I just wish I saw a little heading. bit. I just wish I saw a little bit of growth before he got locked up. That's all. Give me just a little bit of that, and I would have been like, oh, all right, he's he's recognizing that this is some bullshit, and he got caught up rather than just like a, he bobbed out getting ass in the hotel room, figured out what's my day plans. He about to go shopping, get a Louis <laughs> bag. I'm like, yo, he's trying to hide <laughs> yeah. his bag from yeah, the baddie. No. My son, man, my son was vibed out. <laughs> He was like one of those mobsters that, you know, it gets too hot in New York. So he goes down to Miami to hide <laughs> out and he he like loses focus for half a second. <laughs> gets picked up. Yeah. And, he's, and I'm like, that's dope. But I'm like, man, you, you ain't have to do nothing. This is just bad shit happening to you. But I think I think for Andor, for his his turnaround as a character, I think what's interesting is that he in a way he doesn't. He doesn't arrive at just doing it for altruism's sake, right? He's right, not. No, he doesn't. Like by the end of the season, it's not because he doesn't join up because he's good. Like all of a sudden, he's good. No, it's that he's still a survivor, but he realizes that he's he's ultimately dead anyway. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that to me is like the interesting turning point for him, right? And where where maybe that change from the Aldani job to the prison and you know what happens after I think all those things lead him to that situation where it's yeah it's not that Andor all of a sudden is a good person but he's he's kind of in a effort mode yeah where it's like this is what I'm gonna do now you know I'm gonna let Spike. I'm the captain now. Yeah, man. Yeah. If he would have stayed in that hotel room a couple more hours, the credits would have rolled, and he would have just been in vacation land with his bag with a baddie, roll credits. Nigga, ain't even, we don't even worry about the empire right now. He doing yeah. it big. What was and- he doing counting his money in the bathroom? He should have just been going a few more rounds in the hotel. Right, and then he wouldn't even got picked up, and then none of this would have even happened. No, but but that's the point is he was going to get picked up no matter where he went. The Empire was just being that much of a dick, right? Like, everywhere they were going, and when he comes back to that resort town, well, you don't know, I guess, but he comes back to the resort town at the end, and it's abandoned. Like, no one... no one pick up on that. No one in the Empire is able to enjoy this thing. Right? Like... This is going to happen no matter what. Like this, this idea that he doesn't have agency is right, but he's the one that has certain skills, right? He's he's the Liam Neeson of this this universe. That he's like he's like, if I don't do something, right, I'm just gonna die anyways. This empire is gonna lock me up again. This is gonna happen. The same shit is gonna happen again. I can't run anymore from my problems, right? Like after after Aldani, he decides to run and check out. He's like, hey, that's your problem now, guys, right? But his money isn't going to keep him safe. He's always got to look over his shoulder. Like this, that's not going to happen, right? And he even comes back home. He talks to Marva and or whoever, and they're just like, "Nah, like it's going to be. They're just going to keep coming." So I don't know. I mean, I thought that was legit in that, like he's he doesn't need to change and become like a good guy. He needs to keep getting pushed and prodded until he's like, "What the fuck, man!" Like. I'm tired of this shit and like something's got to change because like the, I'm not going to keep living in a world where everybody keeps pushing me around like this or keeps imprisoning me and takes away like what I've earned, you know? And so I don't know. That's, that's what I got from it. I didn't, I didn't need him to become a good guy after Aldani that situation. Like you said, right. He didn't actually it's- click together with that group very well, but he's starting to see like, there are people who believe in this as a real thing 
like there's there is an actual thing that could happen here right that's all it, it is it just had to yeah, plant the it's seed. just harder to identify it's, i guess it's just from a protagonist perspective it's harder to identify when their growth is because of just a crappy circumstance than like any actual interior motivation at least again at least for me that's really just that's really just what it boils down to it's just like oh you know, it's just one of those, it's like someone who only cares about racism until something racist happened to him. It's like, I get it, and that makes sense, but in the context of these other characters, that is not as compelling, even if it's realistic. Yeah. So, again, it's fine. Uh, it's not okay. like a major I think that knock. changes in the prison, though. I like I said, and again, yeah, and, and again, in fairness, I still need the prison, and I know in the prison, you're probably going to step up and learn all that, but dang, man, I wish he would have at least, like... He could. I wish. They, I just wish he would have got locked up on some better, for better, better reasons or something. Man. I still just got no. But the, that was so wow. bogus to watch. I was just like, oh, but the bogusness of it, out like a sucker. But the bogusness of it is what's like the whole point, right? No, no, I get it. I'm just you and know. Luther was the one that made that happen. Yeah, Luther's, Luther's the real. <laughs> wow. Yeah, Luther's the real MVP for me and all this. He's the real. He, I'm, I like his character more than Andor, honestly. Well, I don't know if I like his character, but it's like oh, yeah, fascinating. Like, oh, to I have love him his character. Yeah, his character's yeah. sick. Yeah, I love him. He's All right, like, well, let's talk about that a little bit. So we get some interesting villains and some some interesting characters. I don't even think I got to couch him as villains, but Cyril Karn. Uh, it seemed like you you kind of found him a little bit boring. I had a buddy who really found him kind of boring and like kind of useless, but I I thought he was great in terms of what we were learning about the kind of people that the, was in the Empire and the kind of people that were going to join up and be like zealots for this stuff um dedra miro what a revelation she was um i i really should look up her brian can you look up her name i keep calling her dedra miro and she's she's got an actual name i'm sure um but she's she's this position that we haven't really seen before it's an isb i think director mm-hmm. um Ar- arvel skeen who's the guy that was from the bear um and ends up kind of uh, uh betraying the uh the aldani group the heist group mm-hmm. um oh yeah denise goff um, is the one who plays Dedramiro, and and hot take Luthen, who's a man that is so righteous and calculating, but doesn't care who has to die. Not that he doesn't care, but he sort of doesn't care who has play, to die. Play to win, results yeah. oriented, baby. Yeah, right. He's he's Machiavellian to the core, right? He's he's doing whatever it takes to take down his enemies, even if that means people he knows, people he likes, people who are on his side have to die. He's not one of those like, hey, we're gonna, you know, save every man. We're, you know, hoorah, all that. Like Marines, he's he's not that guy. Um, what did you think about these characters that are that are not Cassian, but are that are sort of introduced throughout the show? Savon, you seen you want to talk about Luthen, I guess. I mean, no, it doesn't have to be about Luthen. I think in general, the show does a good job of having these characters and their unique slice of life stories and how, you know, specifically. Uh, What's what's the woman? Uh, what's the woman's name? Deidre. Deidre Miro. Yeah. Deidre, like Deidre Miro. You have really interesting characters who they aren't explicitly evil per se. No, but she's definitely but a Nazi. They support, but they support, you know. But like, there's not really any maliciousness in her actions, and you know, there's lots of people who well, are working their jobs. There's lots of people who have jobs that support systems of oppression, and that can, te- you know, you can. People can be co- complicit in ways that isn't with malicious intent because for her it's not like a oh f these people in particular it's just like yo i'm just trying to be good at my job and if you don't know how that manifests for the everyday citizen like you're removed from that but it makes for just very interesting characters and that part i think is one of the really 
strong parts of the show, right? Like you get to see this. They do a good solid parallel of the rebels having deplorable people, the empire having people who, you know, your boy Kern. Now, did I find some of his stuff tedious in the context of the show? Yes. But in the context of his individual story, I thought it was very interesting because all his points and things he's talking about, he's not wrong at any point. You know, how how it manifests in the means is its own thing. But like <laughs> but his saying, obsessive but, behavior. Yeah, but his points about about Cassian killing the people, all that, all that is a hundred percent true. Like that it can't the stand, man right? speak the man speaks yeah. no like the man speaks no lie. Like say what you want about Cassian. He did murder, he did kill them dudes. Like you gotta, you know, you can they did you, start it. Okay, but like if someone starts a fight with me, it doesn't justify me killing them either. You know, you still gotta Hunt take shot first. You still gotta take yeah, like you still gotta take you know, you still gotta assign some amount of blame of misprotection. Yeah. It does make perfect sense. Like he did kill those dudes. There was gross incompetence and cover-ups. Even his job he gets later is because of like nepotism and calling in favor, and he clearly is not rocking with that, right? Like right. nothing the dude says is wrong. So it does make an interesting point of people who aren't wrong but can still find themselves on the wrong side of history you know it's very fun to watch because the dude ain't malicious he's not a super villain he's not turling his thumbs he said yo and or kill two of my co-workers and homies and the people that were covered it up that's a very good motivation to have and you yeah. know you can see how they could drop somebody to some really wild places so you know in the context of the show i thought it found tedious because i was like there's lots of other more interesting stuff but as its own little slice of life they did a great job of just having interesting characters on multiple sides of the fence who you know it felt very game of thronesy in terms of it's very difficult to see who you're rooting for yeah I... keep cyril away from the internet <laughs> <laughs> yeah him in the neckbeards like, don't Get introduce along. him to 4chan <laughs> i i mean this show i don't know if it was because it was 12 episodes or because tony gilroy and the writers just did a really excellent job or directors or whatever but there were there were a ton of just really interesting characters that felt like they had so much depth to them. Nobody felt the same. Um, the inside man, I don't remember who it was, but he's like an officer in the empire, but had felt like he had been betrayed by the empire's presence on Aldani. Um, because I guess he had, he, I think it was the story was he had a relationship with somebody from Aldani. Um, and so his motivation was really to undo the presence of the empire there on, and the, the Imperial, like, military force on 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 aldani and he like how did he become that way like what there's so much going on there right the the risks he's taking to to provide them with gear and intelligence um vel and Sinta's relationship was just really like hinted at throughout the show i don't know that i'd want like a whole show on those two but they're just like an interesting like presence in the show um the daughter being religious right really kind of is creates a lot of hardship for mon mothma who's kind of was a weird side character or like a very small part in one of the original tri- trilogy movies and then showed up again in rogue one later and now is in this show as as a key player right in in the rebellion although her story is very separate from cassian's um who well, is they're, she they're, in the original trilogy Ma- she she was like one of the rebellion leaders. She, yeah, in, she's a rebel leader. One yeah, of the leaders in. She's like she's one of the main leaders of the rebel line. Oh, I didn't know yeah. that. She was like mm-hmm. a general, and they took this. She had like you know three speaking lines or something, and they took her, and they ended up making her a bigger part of Rogue One. Uh, and Tony Gilroy, who wrote this show, also wrote Rogue One, so he's familiar with like what's going on here. Um, my buddy Albert really and a bunch hated... of the Star Wars games too. She's significant. Force Unleashed. 
also has a lot of the game Star Wars Force Unleashed has a lot of uh stuff that's supposed to imply the start of the Rebel Alliance and Mon mm. Mothma is also a part of that story too. A lot of the extended universe material actually makes use of her a lot as like a rebel figurehead. Yeah. Um, and, and probably because they're trying to save like Luke and Luke and Leia for for the big stuff, right? But, um, Cyril Karn, right? He's his interactions with his mom. He's obsessive. He loves doing his like f- tailoring. He wants to look smart. He he believes in. I don't know what he believes in. It's it's like a law and order, fairness idea. Right, he's obsessed with that. You gotta it, have, like, you gotta have rules of engagement and expectations. Yeah. If you don't have them, you know it's anarchy. He, which he wants everything to be ordered, for sure. Not, do not wrong. Um, and, and we, it's not super clear how that connection is with his mom or like where that comes from. But he, clearly, he's got a strained relationship with his mom. Um, Dedra Miro, Jesus Christ, she's like stiff as a board. How did she become that way? Why is she a Nazi? Why is she using her powers for Nazism in this in this show? Right, like I think you could do a whole show on her for sure, like on how she became that way and and her traveling through the ranks or maybe what she goes on to become after this. Um, and then I, I got to mention Kino Loy, who's, who's Andy Serkis's character in the prison. Like, what a delight! Oh man, what a performance from him! This guy is. Uh, I don't know. There's just I. You almost like tear up, and it's not even milked. It's just you see him, and then you don't, and it's over. And you're like, "Dang, that that was how they sent this guy out." That we like saw this huge character shift from you know what he was in terms of like fully bought into the game and fully bought into like the imprisonment and using his power as not abusive, but he kind of abused his power, right? And then eventually comes around to, "Oh shit, I actually have no power in this place, and it needs to end." Get that uh, man some floaties. Whew. Oh, what a what a crazy thing. So I don't know. I mean, the characters in the show, I think, lived up to it and made made this into like what a great like, I don't know, pie of of show. Well, I think what's important about all these different characters is that there's such a broad range that they they really show the spectrum of rebels and of imperial people right yeah so, like not everybody is some imperial fanatic uh, a fascist or whatever right you have cyril who is a law and order obsessive but he's ultimately very ineffective at his job but then you have somebody you know to compare him with which is uh deidre miro deidre miro and she is incredibly capable at her job she's calculating she's smart she's capable but I would not consider her a zealot whatsoever. No. It seems to me she just seems like somebody who wants to climb the ranks, outperform all her peers who are slacking off, and she's going to outsmart everybody. Um, so she's the person who'll be good at whatever job she like. Whatever job, that's one of the people who's no matter what job or career path they do, they're going to be competent at it and rise the ranks. It just so happens that she's doing it for a really crappy regime. right for the Nazis. But, yeah. But yeah, it doesn't feel but personal at she any knows, time. She's, she's it a is bureaucrat. personal though. She's yeah. ultimately a bureaucrat. Yeah, I don't but think she believes, I don't think it's personal. I think she I don't believes think it's in, personal at all. No, but I, I do think she believes in like protecting the empire. I think that's I, a thing she believes in. I yeah, think she like, believes in upholding the company that she works for. Yeah, like yeah. my mom and, works for. She knows government, they're Nazis. But like, no, she. They don't think they're Nazis. That's the. That's what makes this show great. Is that the people on the Nazi side don't understand <laughs> that they're Nazis, and then the people on the rebel side 
you know, like you could easily see that as terrorism or that as heroism. Yeah. You know, it could be either. They take children um, hostage. They put guns to kids' heads. There are some people who will say that's unacceptable under any circumstances. Yeah. I mean, they, they threw a bomb into a crowd. Like, they're, so they're, they're very questionable things. It's, as, as Savant says, it's the moral gray area of both rebel and empire. And I think that's delicious. What, that's delicious. what makes this show so, yeah. like, scintillating right and and because of that you get all these scenes where there is a lot of tension going on because people have very different agendas so Mm -hmm. you know when luthan is talking with saul guerrero saul guerrero is angry because he cannot put luthan into a box he does not know if this guy is a partisan if he's a zealot if he's an outright anarchist he he cannot understand politically what Luthen is doing, and Luthen, you know, great character. He's sending people to die, and he knows it. Yeah, and he is willing to do that. Uh, he's willing to burn his soul for the sunrise that he won't get yeah. to see. Said, like, that said, is just phenomenal writing and a phenomenal character. Uh, he talks about so throwing you away get your this full spectrum. Right? Yeah, exactly. You you get this full spectrum. You get people. It's like ultimately this show is about people within circumstances, right? And how are they playing those circumstances? Um, and and so that's where you get you know Andy Serkis's Kino Loy, right? Like he's just playing his hand. Cassian Andor is playing his hand. Uh, and so you could imagine that any individual in this universe you know, might turn out a different way in a different station in life. Uh, but this, this is how they're playing things and they're, they're going to represent, you know, all of humanity essentially, Yeah. Uh, you know, within this story. And I, I think that's what that ultimately is what makes Andor so much more interesting uh, than the rest of star Wars, where it's just like mm-hmm. good guys, bad guys. Yeah. A lot more simple. Also just to like, and Wes, I'm going to push back about like the whole, you know, calling her a Nazi thing. Like it's something you got to keep in mind. There's lots of everyday people, people we know, friends, family who work for the U.S. government, who probably fully acknowledge the U.S. government does all kinds of awful things. But does you working for them, like, to what extent does that make you explicit? And then what does it do for your role? Like, if my mom's job is that she processes payroll for the U.S. government, well, shit, the payroll processing people was the whole point of the heist thing that they hold it, you know? If she's a pencil pusher there or a paper pusher, does that make you a villain? Are you just somebody who's working a nine? Yeah, but Dedra's not a pencil pusher. Dedra is an enforcement role, right? She's investigative, she's enforcement, she's policy setting. Yeah. So she's not yeah. a pencil pusher. Yeah, but same. But she's trying ju- to outmaneuver yeah, but, her colleagues. Yeah, but same judges, lawyers, and outmaneuver like, the rebels. Yeah, I guess my yeah, point is that these it's jobs. Get her, it's yeah, I guess my get point her is that. Yeah. I guess my point is that the, the jobs that we see in this show, although they're obviously portrayed in a much more dramatic way. Yeah. They're very analogous to very innocuous day-to-day acceptable jobs in our own world. You know, like in this Star Wars world, it's a really dramatic council making policy. But in real life, you know, it could be it's some it could be your uh, you know, your depart, you know, a local politician in the courtroom or judge thing. And you don't see them as super villains or Nazis necessarily. But I think it, you know Some of them. Yeah, but you, my point is that yeah, you yeah. don't just see no, the role you. and right. think, oh, this. Yeah, yeah. And so it does add a little bit of like, you know. Being ruthlessly efficient at your job doesn't necessarily mean that it's personal. And I do think that's an important distinction to make that, you know, someone who just is a cog in a system and they're just working, are they better or worse than someone who's not a part of a system? But they're like, you know, your boy, Luthen, who 
okay, he's not upholding the system of oppression, but he still has no problem throwing people's lives for his own ends and means. Yeah. What is better? What you know? What is preferable? Do you want to be a paper pusher for the bad guys or someone who's on the good guys but is okay with killing people? Yeah, you know, I don't, there's no right answer, but I think there's, you know, I, I do like to remind there's a lot of nuance with that. Sort like, of, of all the except she, we see, her failure, her failure to then be introspective about the oppression or oppressiveness of the empire is actually then a flaw, right? If if you're gonna say, well, she's whip smart, able to do all these things. Her inability then to see the empire as problematic is also then a problem. Well, I think they address that. That's okay, right? I mean, she's she's not a perfect character. Like, she's not a Superman character. She's not like all good or all bad. Um, And I do agree. I think you're right. I probably overstated it that she's like into being a Nazi. That I don't think that's what she would say. But she's not about freedom. I I think in context of the show, they address that and that everybody that's on that planet is it Coruscant or something. you know, whenever we see Mon Mothma in these kind of like fancy cocktail chic settings, right, where she's rubbing elbows with the elite mm-hmm. of Coruscant, I I can't remember who, but somebody makes mention of like, oh, there's like these things going on on the other planets. It's like so far removed from us, right? To me, that's that's very much how people on that planet feel, right? Like. You know, That's how it is for us as Americans. That's exactly. You have yeah. tons of you have tons of privilege. Uh, you just hobnob with the elite. You don't really know what's going on in the rest of the world or in, even in the rest of the country. Um, and so your actions, yeah, maybe you're smart enough to be aware. But what does what does being aware really mean for yeah. people so far removed? And I think. That's that's well, for part of what the show she's is in getting these report, at. She's in these meetings where they're getting reports from every single sector of the galaxy. So it's not like she's not totally unaware. Yeah, but they're numbers, right? Yeah. It's paper. Yeah. It's it's numbers you know, on a paper. Yeah, and also who I mean, it's not like she's gonna push back against the entire imperial structure. Like it's not, you know, even if you're in the room, you're not about to just be able to come in and snap your fingers and be a revolutionary. You know, it's not that well, And that's not what she wants to do. Yeah. Yeah, so I think for for Dedra Miro, though, I think she will have a huge change, you know, based on what happens in the finale and her coming together with someone like Cyril Karn um, and having experienced the on the ground visceral nature of what's happening in the galaxy. Oh, you think Um, she'd become more of a. I think, well, I don't know what's going to happen, but it's definitely, it's, this will have an impact on her. Right. Oh, like, for sure. She I mean, will, she's, she's shaken. Yeah. She just doesn't she's, come off. She, I mean, I yeah. gotta finish it, but like, even just from all her portrayals on screen, they have not portrayed her in a villainous manner. You know, no, no, she, doesn't, she doesn't go no, out of her way to be is. cruel. She doesn't go out of her way to be mean. But I'm saying there's a difference between being cruel and villainous and working for the villains. You know, she's not nice and she's not a good person by any means. Right. But there's a difference between being a, a good person and being just maliciously evil and. It does make like out of all the characters on we've seen in the show, she probably has some of the least like probably one of the how do I put this? Her actions are probably some of the less morally reprehensible, even when considered to protagonist. Well, you know? it like, becomes more royally. It becomes more. It gets bad at the yeah, very end. Okay, she I mean, she starts okaying like pretty serious torture and and stuff. And that you know okay, and that you know, and that's right. fair. And again, I'll have to finish the show yeah. to you know. Again, and this that is becomes based on limited stuff. Right, it's echoing the torture that was happening right after nine eleven. Right, but like, is that, that worse stuff. than what Luthen okay's? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. No, I hear you. And so I think sure. that's that's an important question. Because yeah, yeah. even to your point, like, torturing's bad. Is torture as bad as murder? 
especially in the context of what their roles are. I don't know, but I agree. It's interesting. I'm glad that y'all are saying that she clearly seems to be set up for like an interesting character arc because I don't know what would be the point of her otherwise. But again, I like that she isn't just Toria mustache evil, that type of no. thing. Yeah. She yeah, just yeah. wants to be good at, she's just really, you know, she's just Well, that's what's so great about the job. show. Yeah, it's exactly what you're talking about, right? Mm-hmm. Is there isn't a Toria mustache evil. We don't see the, the emperor. He gets mentioned once in one of the episodes mm-hmm. um, towards the end. So, I mean, yeah, it's it's been just very cool to see, like, how all these things are playing out and how, like, in how actually the Empire sort of comes together and what the people are doing in response to it, right? And it's very much like you just sort of get your your liberties encroached upon little by little and you don't notice, right? The What is it, like, the frog in the, the soup, right? Not noticing the temperature increasing little by little. Um, I mean, your boy Luther said that the Empire's yeah. choking us. We gotta force their hand. Yeah, and that, that was, was a cool. Like, I thought that was a really interesting idea that he was like purposefully like, no, we're not trying to stave off the Empire. We're actually trying to goad them into being more restrictive because that's what's going to draw people to our side. I was like, oh, like yeah, I guess that yeah, does right work, right? Like, no, if you just if you're constantly pushing the Empire back, people are like, okay, cool, everybody, you've got that. Like, go ahead and keep doing your thing. Like, thank you for your service right and then that's it they're not actually on your side they're just like hoping that you'll do it for them mm-hmm. uh, but he's bringing people to a point where they're gonna have to take action uh let's keep going i think there's um we it would be remiss to not talk about the world building that happened in this show i know that it's a <laughs> it's a favorite pastime of people who who look at these fantasy shows but tony gilroy who wrote this show uh, also wrote the Bourne trilogy. Wrote Michael Clayton. Uh, wrote a couple other things. I think he had a hand in House of Cards. Is that what it's called? The Kevin Spacey thing. Mm-hmm. House of Cards. House of Cards. Um, but we get to see all these different cultures. Was there anything that stood out to you as far as the ability of the show to demonstrate like these different cultures to you? I think um, one thing that that I was talking to Miles about after we actually recorded our pod was that Tony Gilroy has done this a couple times now where he's taking things in the Star Wars universe that feels hokey or silly and then giving them a real reason for them to exist. So the exhaust port being there in the first movie where it's kind of like, why would why would the Empire just have this random exhaust port? Oh, like just because it's a story, it needed to happen for the story. He retcons that as being like, actually that was there because an engineer was displeased with how the Empire was running thing and purposefully set it up that way, right? And tried to get it under the radar so that they wouldn't notice here um the empire is arrogant and continues to overlook and can't imagine right like and they're they're scrambling a little bit they're not at their strongest point yet and so he he builds in these reasons how the empire is actually losing sometimes rather than just being like complete like stormtroopers can't aim blah 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 blah. it's actually there's real reasons why they're struggling to maintain their control over people um brian did you notice anything here that that kind of stood out to you as far as world building went i mean the i i think this is where the show really shines is all the all the details that they put into the different locations the different communities that we visit with you know every environment that we that we inhabit on this show has its own idiosyncrasies that really breathes life into all the portrayals like it was so good all that stuff was so good I mean, I think, I think there's yes, yes to what Miles is saying about giving reasons for things existing, but there's also things that only exist to be a detail. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And I think those are actually quite valuable in world building too, that I think a lot of creators often overlook. Like just the fact that Mon Mothma takes off these like two brooches on her attire to then like open it up. Like that that is just like a cool detail about yeah. you know futuristic sci-fi attire. Or, you know, the you know, her and her people, they, you know, they drink that cocktail that has the worm in it. Oh, yeah, yeah. That she finds disgusting uh, and would rather not have, right? Like, just elements like that really breathe life into their own culture and existence. Um, I think one of the the best examples, though, is actually within the prison itself. And the way the prison is designed is ingenious. Like, it's it actually, like, takes... Yeah, evil genius, man. It Whoa. takes the the primary empire designs, you know, like the cold, like white lights and kind of like plastic setting, but turning it, turning everything stark white and sterile so that it, the sterileness feels oppressive. Um, And then, you know, it's got, you know, the food dispensers, uh, you know, and the fact that there's a competition going on for taste and then flavor in the food (laughs) and that, the the people that lose the competition in the work environment are the ones that are getting fried. Um, you know, there's you know just the way the the structures of the sleeping quarters, the, how they change shifts, and how they communicate with people on different floors of the prison. Um, everything that happens in and around the prison is so well thought out that it it feels it feels real, and so you feel the cruelty and dehumanization and the oppression of the empire so much more yeah. than I think I've felt in a long time in Star Wars. Um and and then what you find out what those widgets that they're making, what that's for, like that's just icing on the cake. Yeah. And and so all all those details, you know, wrapping into each other, I think, you know, it just creates such a rich world for Andor and, you know, all these characters to inhabit. Savan, did you want to talk about the world building that they did in the show? No, I thought the world building was solid overall. Um, the only... <laughs> yeah, it's fine. It's cool. It was you know, so good. Oh. My only real complaint, and again, maybe the prison arc will change this, but uh, I was disappointed at the lack of aliens that we've seen. I know. I picked up so on that far. too, actually. And I thought it was a lot of missed potential. Mainly because one, one of the best things about Star Wars from just a design and visual perspective is all these unique races. And we got a little bit of that, but not a lot. Like we had the forearm surgeon do it. I was like, okay, we got a little bit. But I wanted more of that because a big theme in Star Wars is, you know, it's obviously the empire is meant to be critical of actual empires and colonialism and all that. But yeah, exactly. No, no, no. Yeah, like the whole, a huge thing in Star Wars that they, to your point, Wes, they kind of retcon a little bit with the series is, and actually they kind of hinted it well in the original series too, and I'll give them that, is yeah, the Empire is very anti-alien. Anyone who's not human faces lots of discrimination. And even in the Clone Wars series, you know, there's slavery, discrimination, like labor camps based on races. And this actually might lead into that point I was making before, Brian, about tone. You could really get into some really dark territory about the implications of that, that the show just clearly didn't want to open that can of worms because they could have. And I felt like that was a missed opportunity because the prejudice against non-humans is huge. And just Star Wars, the potential, right, of these different alien races that often have 
powers that are more than what a human would have. Like there's numerous multiple species in Star Wars that basically have the equivalent of superpowers. Like Wookiees are super strong and have super strength. They're species that can fly and do mental crap and all that. So I felt like they really could have done something dope with that and didn't, especially considering one, their Star Wars is historically great at world building. Two, you already have so much world built out from the larger canon. It's not like you got to make up something totally new. You can take already existing concepts and then expand on them in a way that wasn't before, you know? And yeah, I mean, I just thought that was a missed opportunity. That was a big missed opportunity for me. But the the culture building for the human stuff and all that, I thought it was just, that was great. But even the people with the eye and all the stars falling, like, had some of them just threw some aliens in there. I make them an alien race. Savannah, can you hear us? Yeah. Your shit says that you're offline now. I don't know if your shit's recording. Oh, and you say it's recording for me. Oh, it does? Okay. Mm-hmm. I don't see any alerts. Okay. Hopefully it's all right. I hope um, so, too. But yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I did notice the lack of non-human beings. Compared to Book of Boba Fett, which just had aliens for days. And I'm like, dude, give me like the aliens and character designs from Boba Fett with the writing and grittiness of Andor turned up a notch. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's what I want. That's that good stuff. I wonder if Tony Gilroy and company shied away from that because they figured they couldn't they couldn't figure out how to make them serious enough, right? Mm-hmm. Without, you know, without practical aliens feeling a little on the sillier side of things. I, I wonder. Mean, I mean, you can I mean, I feel like I mean, I don't disagree with you. I mean, that's a fair critique. I think Star Wars though has a good even then they do a decent job of like there's a good blend of hum- aliens that look nothing like humans and aliens that are like near human. You know, you humanish, can even, yeah, humanish yeah. like, you know, you can still have your Darth Maul non you know fancy color skin humans with horns and the two legs with tentacles i thought you still could have had that and still have grounded human performances to keep it more grounded but still have that like a this is a big inter this is a big multi-species world i like it's just a missed opportunity when you're talking about an oppressive regime that actively screws over people for their benefit that was a big missed opportunity fair enough i think that's good I i didn't really pick up on that um i did see it addressed as like you're not in, in some ways, because the Empire is pro-human, right, or is human-centric, you're not going to see other alien species in working at the Empire at the highest levels. Um, and so that's some of the stuff we saw. But yeah, I mean, maybe on the other side, we would have seen more of it. Yeah, you'd think you'd uh, see more in the prison. Yeah. Right? I was like, what? Everybody in prison is human? Well, yeah. they got sorted. That They, they made they clear do, that they got sorted. They did get sorted. So, but even then, that was like, fun. but even then, it's weird because in the previous, everything else with Star Wars, they do a great job of establishing that the Rebel Alliance is made up of lots of different species. Like, to your point, right? Like, even they say, what were the, uh, the Bothans died, a bunch of Bothan spies died to get this information and yeah. Battle of Hall. Like, even in the OG movies, the Rebels are made up. They, they, the diversity is very obvious. So it's really weird that they, even when you're seeing the beginnings of the Rebels, like, even in that little, I mean, I guess some of it makes sense because you're sneaking into an empire camp and you need a group of humans. But I feel like for writing, <laughs> I feel like there's ways that they could have done that writing wise where, you could still show more aliens. Just having right. none on screen was like, oh, okay, yeah. I guess. Season two, let's see the Rebel Alliance become more diverse. Yeah, I was a little Hell disappointed yeah. to see a uh, very human-centric Rebel Alliance. And I feel like an alliance to me, the allies who are, they say that they're a Rebel Alliance. What kind of Aryan allies are these? Right? Well, I did <laughs> notice that the the Empire had a more diverse cast, right? In the original movies, it was just all white dudes. Um mm-hmm. 
and I think that was on purpose, but you know, now the empire is made up of evil black people and evil Asian people as well, um, chilling in there and yeah. evil women. Well, they didn't seem evil. Not evil, but you know what I mean. They're on the but they're, they're, they're on the in the mix. Text. They're yeah. on the empire side. Yeah, I think they're just leaning more into the human centric side of the empire than just them being a placeholder for like white colonialism, imperialism. See, obviously, it's still I there. Brought, this is why no, I want to talk there. about it. You guys yeah, have still all these there, thoughts. But, that I, yeah. yeah, I did like that. It, Everybody in the empire is basically British. <laughs> yeah. that That's works. a real thing. It's because Star, Star Wars <laughs> yeah. was made in America. And if you got an American show or American product, and you got to get people to understand, hey, they foreigners and they're not cool. Who was the British. first of me? Make them Russian or make them British. Depends on what decade you're talking. But yeah, you know, if it's the 80s, if it's the Cold War, it's the Russians. If it's, you know, depending on what area, it might be China. Yeah, the more evil they get, the more accented it's going to be. <laughs> right now, British is just like uh, asshole language for them. <laughs> right. If it's the 2000s, you just have to do like just vague Middle Eastern. It's just, you know, when you're American, just who's the, the general antagonist shifts from decade to decade, depending on who's who the we're beefing with internationally. <laughs> yes. It's code. You have, you have to shortcut things. Um, all right, let's finish up here. So... The show is is very much in the like grounded, like we said. There's no Jedi, there's no lightsabers, there's very little actually non-human, you know, going on here. Um, what's the right balance moving forward? And and this maybe is is directed at Savan. What is the right balance moving forward for Star Wars between you know th- this excellently grounded show that takes place on on the ground? versus you know or we get to see like the the real people and and how these things are made up compared to movies where we're getting to see our s-tier heroes and our villains like ray and kylo ren how should sort of disney and lucasfilm how should we sort of successfully move forward should it just be like no let's go all the way back to it's got to be the fantasy and it's got to be lightsabers to stay true to the original vision of george lucas should it be actually let's do a lot do, more of this grounded stuff like where are you at? It, you got to do it the way marvel does it and i think with where they are currently which is just you adjust the tone and genre based on the story you're trying to tell some stories are better to be more mature is this is this big enough like are we going to get whiplash trying to do something like that no not like, really you're already can... complaining this isn't star wars well for me it's like well for me it's because i think they didn't go far enough that was my complaint. I think the MCU's gotten better about like having some movies be super have- serious. No, I'm saying like okay, like my with my MCU example, especially with later stuff. Some stuff in the MCU, like She Hulk sitcom, they did not shy away from the fact that it was a sitcom compared to terrible. Loki, which was you know really really surrealist and this adventure and all that, which you know, yeah I didn't enjoy, but it was clearly meant to be its own. Like they went full tilt on what the tone of that was meant to be. And I think that for Star Wars, they can, they can and should do the same. And they already, and historically, they have done that, right? Like, even with Star Wars, you see how the Force, in some Star Wars stories, the Force is very limited and doesn't do a lot. Other versions of the Force, it's like an anime throwing all kinds of crap, pulling ships out the sky. It's fine for it to be consistent. Attack you just of gotta, the clones, we're looking at you. Yeah, you just got to know, but it's fine. You just got to know what you want the tone of the, uh, what you want the tone of this, like, series to be. I think Andor worked in terms of doing a different type of tone. Like I said, my biggest critique was that they didn't lean far enough into that tone. Don't give me just a cruel prison. Give me graphic depictions of what like actual 
slavery for an alien race might look like under the empire and people dying and like you know you don't have to show people getting wiped out but leaning hard and what the you know you can still get really gritty and what the after effects of that are i think that's what they i think that's what this show could have really done most and for star wars in particular i think and again this is like a brand association thing this show was really good this show isn't very fun and i still think star wars needs a certain level of fun in there that I think personally is just like, and it should be inherent to the star Wars brand. Like I said, and this is like, it doesn't take like the show writing amazing, but there's never a point where I'm just like hyped up, excited, that feeling and a lot of stuff that I normally expect to get from a star Wars experience. I think the show still has room for that. Maybe, and maybe it happens towards the end. Maybe I'm just like, it's going to happen at the end in the finale, but I still felt like the show can be serious and mature and do all this and still have a little bit of fun in it. I feel like there's not a lot of fun in here. It's very just gloom and doom serious. But mainly, Star Wars just needs to be able to have something that comes out that's rated R slash MA. That's really what it boils down to. Because <laughs> okay. if you get caught in that middle ground, it's it's tough, man. This isn't middle ground. Yes, it is. This is a this no. is like a rated R story with a PG-13 label on it. Like, that's what it is. Nah. It's the way Black Adam should have been rated R. You know, it's just like, you could tell that the movie was like, all right, we're right there at the cusp, but we're going to just do a few things differently that's going to stop it from being this rating, and I think that holds it back. I I, think the writing is so good on Andor. So good. That its inability to go beyond PG-13 doesn't hamper it enough, right? Good word, hamper. Like it's it's it still does what it needs to do, even though we realize it has those restraints. Mm-hmm. On. Mm-hmm. But I still maintain that it's very hard to pinpoint who I would recommend this show for, despite its extreme quality. Like I still maintain that that's like a big reason why I feel that way. It's, it's weird. I mean, I agree with you. There, like the show is lacking that fun energy, and you know, there's not a there's almost no humor in the show at all the closest humor uh, is when he's getting screwed over by the police and it's really like an <laughs> uncomfortable like oh he's about to get hit with that shit oh. <laughs> yeah or like he's talking to the droid that might break his neck yeah i'm just like yeah. all right we're laughing here he meant like, to look at it. me but i'm like yo this is like we're watching like a real like police brutality choke out like you know let's, let's call it what it is but uh, that was good. Yeah, I mean, like, I think those things are missing, but I actually enjoy that. Like, to me, that's to me, that's what makes the show way better. Like, uh, how do you get a non-Star Wars fan to watch this, knowing that if you're not into Star know. Wars, all of the background Empire stuff, no one's even going to care about? They are going to care about it. Do people who are not into Star Wars not about to just watch yes. Andor in a vacuum and say, oh, yeah, man, this is fire recognizing that they're not even probably deeper into the larger Star Wars lore, even if it's a great I show. I think they would. I think, I think they do enough in this to establish what it is. Um, I hear you. I mean, I hear what you're saying. I, I totally disagree. I think I think anybody could watch the show and pick it up and be like, man, like, I'm... Yeah, I think, I think they do have to give it the first three episodes, though. Because I've heard a lot of people say they watched the first one and maybe the second one and felt like it was kind of too slow for them. But once you hit that third episode... Um, and and stuff starts to go down. I think that's where the show really picks up. And as as long as you're willing to give it three episodes, I think almost anyone could buy into the show. Um, but yeah, I think I think I want I still want the stories that are that are about the Jedi and about Luke or or whoever about Ray. Um, 
you know, or, or any of the, the Jedi. And I want stories like this. I think this has been such a breath of fresh air, but I don't know that I want every show to be like this. So I do want them to still make shows about those S tier characters, right? Who, who have superpowers, who have the use of the force, um, but make it good. Right. I think some of the part has been like, <laughs> Hey, you've just sort of been pandering or you've been like fan servicing and you haven't gotten into what makes these characters tick in the way that, that you could have. And so, um, that's what I would want, right? I'm not necessarily like, oh, I have to be one or the other. I think you just have to keep making shows that are good. Um, so that's where I'm at. Brian, you're done I with I could care less about any of those other characters. <laughs> All the good characters are gone anyway. Like Han Solo's gone. He was the best character. <laughs> and, and so I'm like, no, no one's more. Ever cared. The Skywalkers have always sucked. Let's just call it what it is. <laughs> no more no Jedi. One... I like them. I'm tired no of the Jedi. Ch- I'm tired of Skywalkers. They're they're really boring. Chosen bloodline. Like, give me Luthen. I love Luthen. <laughs> give me Saul Guerrero. I love him. Like these, like these are the kind of characters that I'm invested in. I, you know, if they make more of this stuff without any Jedi, I'd be totally happy. Cool. All right. Wait, one thing I'll say though. Rogue One did a great job of being totally serious and dark. And still being fun. Oh, that definitely had fun. It was definitely and, fun. And I think that I am one with the force. And the force I think that me. I think that there. I think the existence of Rogue One is proof that you can have a middle ground of a dark, gritty, realistic story. Like that movie is basically a suicide mission run for the entire group. It is not a happy ending. It is a very dark movie. And yeah, I mean, it's just a really, really dark movie. But there's still lots of action and little bits of humor to make levity for what is still a very sad ending and i think andor can find a better balance with that fair enough all right well let's wrap it up there i have no idea if the last 10 minutes or so recorded savan what he's saying so there may just be big gaps where savan was saying really interesting things uh we'll see what happens when we record this episode we don't have a backup uh maneuver here um friends hit us up on at confidently underscore pod on instagram uh respond to our questions tell your friends about us We've been having a blast doing the show. I hope you guys go watch Andor if you haven't already. I guess if you listen to the spoilers version, you've probably seen some of it at least. So keep watching. It's great. It's a good show. Um, Tyler and Kendall, you should definitely watch this show. It's very good. They ain't got no lightsabers. There's no like big Kendall old. Kendall would especially like it. Kendall all would the gangsta, love this show. All the gangster shit from Star Wars, they don't have it, but they got good writing. Tyler is a filmmaker himself. He would appreciate the the care with which this was made. He's going to love it. Guys, you'll like this show. It doesn't need it doesn't need lightsabers to be successful. This is it's been an amazing, amazing show. One of the best of this year, I think. No, like not even just Star Wars show. It's been one of the best shows we've seen this year. All right, I'm is out. Yeah, watch more shows. I mean, that's probably also true. It's a show. Um, all right, it's really good. It's very good. It's all right, really good. let's end it there. Have fun, friends. Bye.